We'll read this morning verses 17 through 20 of Romans 16. Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you indeed are the God of peace. And we have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have received that peace with you. And so we pray that you would speak to us through your word that you would uproot sin out of our hearts, that you would help us to walk in your ways, to understand what is written here by your servant Paul, and to apply it to our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you can tell here at Providence, excuse me, as you can tell here at Providence, uh, we do believe singing uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And when Colossians 3.16 says that, we take it to mean uh, just that, that we sing the psalms from the Old Testament, hymns, songs that are structured a certain way, and spiritual songs perhaps that are structured another way, all giving glory to God. And those outside of the Psalter have stood the test of time. That is the good ones. They have stood the test of time. They're biblical and they're singable, and all of those things. And one of those hymns is The Church's One Foundation, written by S.J. Stone, and it basically has a doctrinal controversy behind it. And so there was a rift in the church in his day, and so he wrote that uh, hymn in order to encourage God's people, and we sometimes sing that here. Well, part of that song goes like this, though with the scornful wonder, men see her sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. And he doesn't stop there. At the end, it says, mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. That gets at the heart of our text for this morning, doesn't it? Because we recognize there are uh, battles from without and even at times from within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has not left us alone in these battles. And not only has Christ won the victory, we have the promised victory even in our text this morning. And so, uh, as Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Christians at Rome, he has this warning sandwiched in between his greetings. And the warning is for Christians to note, to disregard false teaching, those who disrupt the body and church of the Lord Jesus Christ in that way. 
So this morning, I want us to understand what Paul is saying here, and we'll uh, go through the text and then make several applications at the end. And so note, first of all, that Paul does provide this caution concerning false teachers there in verse 17. He says, now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So what Paul is doing, he's urging them, you can see, uh, in fact, the word can be translated, I beg you, I plead with you strongly to note, that is to watch out for those who cause divisions and offenses. And that word there, note, uh, means and has the idea of noting danger, be on guard, be a watchman. In fact, this word is in the Old Testament And the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the prophets, when it talks about the watchman, perhaps Ezekiel comes to mind in Ezekiel 3.17. It is used there. And here, he's speaking to the whole church. So the brethren are to be the watchmen, to note those who spread and propagate things that cause division and offenses. And he says what they are. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and he says, avoid them. And so he says, there are those who would cause divisions, uh, dissensions. This is a work of the flesh, Galatians 5.20 tells us. And then he says, those who cause offenses. This can be a sin. It can be something that leads someone into sin. And so, how is this done? Well, he says, contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. They do it through their teaching. And so he's warning them against false teachers. You know, in, in recent times, and well, I say recent, I'm getting older, so 20 years ago, I can recall people would uh, downplay doctrine, and they would say, Christian doctrine divides. I mean, look at the church today. And to that we could say, sure. Um, doctrine divides, that is false doctrine, false doctrine that Paul warns about here that causes division and at times leads people into sin, to think the wrong thing about God, His Word, and to lead them into an ungodly lifestyle. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 8, He says, if you continue in my Word, then you're truly my disciple And he goes on in that chapter, and he says, the truth shall set you free. And what is the truth? John 17, 17, he says to the Father in prayer, your word is truth. And so what am I saying? I'm saying that it is through the word of God that Christ brings his people together and unites them. And yet Paul says here to watch out for those who cause division within the church, who even lead people astray into sinful lifestyle through their false doctrine. Doctrine, he says, that is contrary, that is against that which they have learned and to avoid them. And so as we think about that, there is a doctrine that they learned, right? Remember, Paul had not yet been to Rome to visit these Christians. He wanted to go see them, uh, but they had already heard the gospel. Some had taken it back to Rome, and there was a church formed and growing in this great city. 
And what they took back with them was what we call apostolic doctrine. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we think about what Paul says here, we need to understand that there is such thing as apostolic doctrine or teaching and tradition. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, he says, Therefore, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle, our letter. And so we need not just to uh, trash all tradition that is handed down in the church, because some of that tradition might be apostolic tradition that is in the Word of God. So not all traditions are bad. That's my point. And uh, Paul evidently is acknowledging that they had this truth, contrary to the doctrine that they had received. And as we think about this, I just want to mention sometimes men come into the church and they accuse men who are proclaiming apostolic doctrine of causing division in the church. In our circles, we talk about the peace and the purity of the church. And those are good things. Those are things taught in the Bible. And we talk about maintaining the peace and the purity of the church of Christ. And in times past, there have been those who have been accused of upsetting those things, disrupting the peace in the church or the purity of the church through their teaching, when in fact, such men have been faithful to the Word of God. I'm thinking in our own circle, remember uh, J. Gresham Machen in the 1930s, one of the ones that started this denomination. Um, he fought the good fight, and uh, he combated liberalism in the church, unbelief in the church, and yet he was kicked out of that church because he believed that there's only one way to heaven, and that way is through Jesus Christ, as Jesus himself says in John 14 and verse 6. And so we have to be careful. The apostles were accused of the same thing in Acts 15, 24. And so what is Paul's concern? He says uh, to note them, mark them out, be aware of them, those who cause divisions and offenses in this way. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you, you may recall that the, the background of 1 Corinthians was there was division And it wasn't so much that false teaching had gone in. It was that different sects within the uh, church at Corinth had attached themselves to certain preachers. I like this preacher. I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. I am of Jesus. But what does Paul say? Well, in 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 10, he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now, Paul is not saying be a cult and be a cult member and follow your cult leader. But he is saying think the same thing together, speak the same way, agree about the doctrine. Agree about the Christian faith. Let the gospel unite you together, not divide you. So we need to be careful about false teaching in the church. Now, Paul, back in Romans, 
he gives two reasons as to why they need to be on guard. In verse 18, he gives the first one. He says, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. So here's the first reason. It's because these teachers who propagate this falsehood that is contrary to the truth of the gospel that they have received, they preach this, they teach these things because they're not servants of Christ, they're servants of self. They have something to gain. He talks about here, they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, food, their own desire. They love pleasure. You know, 1 Peter, 2 Peter talks about false teachers in this way as well. You know, if this were today, uh, these types, they would have book deals. They might be on TV, on Christian so-called TV, cable TV. They might be on the radio. And they would have a following. But as Paul told Timothy, there would be in the last days, those who have itching ears, they would heap up teacher after teacher after teacher who would say to them what they want to hear. Tickling their ears, as Paul puts it in uh, First or Second Timothy there. And so they are the ones who are preaching, and they preach because they have something to gain. He says here that it is by smooth words and flattering speech that they deceive the hearts of the simple. Not only do they flatter, you know, the Proverbs warn us, don't they, of flatter. When someone continually uh, butters you up, so to speak, and talks about how good you are, how nice you are, and they only say good things, and they make you feel good all the time, you better watch out. They might have a hand in your pocket for your pocketbook. They have something to gain. They, you have something they want. And that's the case with these false teachers. They don't say anything bad. Or if they do, it's about the people on the outside. And they have smooth words, you know. Sometimes preachers might have smooth words, but I don't think it's in this sense. Some preachers, good ones, have the gift of speaking. Um, there are some who are like used car salesmen. And my dad was a used car salesman at times when I was very young, so I can say that, I guess. But uh, not all used car salesmen are like this. But sometimes salesmen are. Again, not all salesmen are like this, but you get the point. Someone talks smoothly, quickly, and they want you to, to agree with everything they say without really thinking about it. You better look out. You better look out. That's what Paul is warning against here. Now, this is contrary to Paul himself. Why do I say that? Well, because we know him, but think about how he opens this letter. Uh, in chapter 1, the very first verse, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised. He calls himself a bondservant. And that was a person who put himself into servitude of another because he owed a debt to that person. He wanted to pay off a debt. 
And so Paul was a bondservant, not to man, but to the God-man, Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus had given him the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died in his place in order to give Paul life. And Paul's attitude towards service to Christ was, I can never pay you back, but I am here. Send me. I'm your servant. So his motivation was to serve Jesus. Just like our motivation should be bond servants to Christ, whether we put out chairs and take up all this stuff and put it back or make a meal or write a check or do whatever it is, how we serve Christ. It should be to him, not only and necessarily for other people. That's the motive. And so Paul was to empty himself. He took up his cross daily and denied himself. That was the way of life for Paul But not so with those who operate in this way, who sneak in to the church of Jesus Christ, pretending to be shepherds, to be sheep, when in fact, as the Bible says elsewhere, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. So they deceive the faithful. They deceive the faithful. And as he says here, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Uh, When he says this, he's talking about the innocent. Um, They come in with their smooth, flattering speech. They deceive the hearts, that is the mind. You know, in the Bible, the heart can also mean the mind. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the Proverbs says. That was a Hebrew way of speaking. And when he says simple, the word is uh, akakos in the Greek. And that means without evil, without evil. And in fact, that same word where it says simple here is used of our Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, where our Lord is called harmless. And so they come in, they speak this way all smoothly and flattering words with flattering words. And they deceive the hearts of the simple, the innocent. God's people. By the way, what does he say to do with these people? He says, avoid them. Don't associate with them. That's there in verse 17. And uh, when we think about such people today, you know, even in our own circles, we we have people who um, would call themselves members in good standing in the church of Jesus Christ. And they've written books, but they're members of Biologos, which teaches evolution. Or they say, I can identify as a homosexual and be a pastor in the church of Christ. I'm not participating. I'm not practicing. No, Paul says, of such were some of you. But you were washed. You were cleansed. You were sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It doesn't mean that we don't sin as Christians. And... We have some who would write feminist books, you know, recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood. That's a provocative title. And I'm not saying that person is not a Christian, but we need to be careful what we listen to, what we read in the church of Christ, who we allow to teach us. We need to be Bereans, right, as Acts 17, I think it is, calls us to to be. 
And so that's the first reason. The second reason he mentions there as to why they need to be on guard, um, well, the first one was because they serve themselves, not Christ. They don't have your best interest in mind. They have their pockets to fill, their mansions to build, their book deals to sign. Well, in verse 19, he gives another reason. He says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple or innocent concerning evil. What does he mean? Why is this a reason to be on guard against false teachers? Because Christ, through the gospel, had gone to Rome. And he had converted. The Lord had converted all of these people to himself. They are now Christians. Knowledge about their conversion had spread to the known world. There is a lot at stake here. And so it could be that because of that, they are a target. Satan would love nothing more than to bring them down. Right? Nothing more than to bring them down and see them fall. So that the world would look at them and say, see, that wasn't real. Or perhaps it could be. That Paul is simply saying that their fall would be tragic for the church in general. I think both would be the case. Their fall would be tragic. And they are a target because they are well known throughout the known world. By the way, when we talk about false teaching and how it comes into the church, we need to note this as well. That when they come in with their smooth speech, you know, they... They say a lot of things that are true. This is how deception works, right? If someone came in and said the exact opposite, say, of one of the creeds that have passed the test of time, they come in and they immediately deny the Trinity, or they say you can live however you want, come, you know, worship Satan, and you can be a Christian, we would know that's, that's not right. But if they come in and they, they have ten points of doctrine and nine of them are true and the tenth one is iffy, something's not right, we can be deceived. Think about the Mormons. Um, one of you and myself, we recently met with a few at a um, coffee shop and I was just reminded once again how they work. You know, they will say, we're just another denomination like you. We believe the Bible like you. Yeah, we believe there's one God, but they don't tell you they believe there's one God on this earth. And when you're ready for it, they'll tell you about the doctrine of eternal progression, where um, if you're faithful, you're a man, uh, you can have uh, many children. Why? Because you'll, you'll be a God in the next life, and your children will be the subjects of your kingdom in that life. That they believe in multiple gods. Or perhaps when the Jehovah's Witness come to your door, they'll say, oh, we're Christian too. Look, look at my Bible. Let me show you the scripture. So they hand you the Bible. You go to John chapter 1. It says in their Bible, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was a God. Did you catch it? 
In their Bible, their translation, it says the word was a God, not the God or God. What is the implication according to their false translation? It is that Jesus was a God, and you can be a God too, or that Jesus was God, but not in the sense of God. So they deny the Trinity, and you have to be on guard for these things, because in the Greek in John 1, it says literally, God was the Word. It's emphasizing the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ there, the second person of the Godhead. And there are those who would come in and be sly and deceive the faithful of God. So we have to be careful. And so we are called to be wise in what is good and simple or innocent concerning evil. You know, parents, it's like your children when they're young. You don't want them to know about every evil thing under the sun. When the time is right, maybe you want to warn them about some of these things, but you really don't want them to be too knowledgeable, too familiar with what's out there. And so Paul, as a good spiritual father in the Lord, has the same concern. And we see the Lord's heart who is working through Paul to give us this, his holy word. And even though this is the case, even though sometimes false teachers come into the church to destroy and all of these things, there is hope. There is hope. If you look at verse 20, Paul says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Well, is this related in any way to what he's been saying? I think so, because there is a connection between these false teachers and Satan. What are some of the names of Satan? Liar, deceiver, that old serpent, the devil, the murderer. Hold your finger there and turn with me to John chapter 8. I want you to see Jesus' words himself, what he says. You know, we can't pick and choose what we believe. Uh, we have to think God's thoughts after him and bring, as 2 Corinthians 10 says, every thought into obedience to Christ, to think like Jesus would have us think. So in John's Gospel, chapter 8, uh, the Pharisees encounter Jesus. Uh, they, they can't deal with what he's teaching. They can't uh, deal with the fact that he can heal people. They want him gone. And so in verse 13, we see there that it's the Pharisees that he's, he's talking with. And then if you look down in verse 13, basically they're saying Jesus is a liar. He says, they say, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And then what is Jesus' assessment here? Well, in verse 19, he tells them, you know neither me or my father. In verse 39... They claim Abraham is our father. Why would they do that? They're saying we're part of the family of God. We're part of the people of God. We're members in good standing of the, the people of God. Abraham's our father. There in verse 39. But then in verses 42 and following, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and come from God. 
nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He goes on, there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of it. You see the connection then in Romans chapter 16. Those who propagate and teach false doctrine in the church of Jesus Christ are under the control, the spell, the influence of Satan himself. They have not God for their father, but Satan as their father. That's what the Savior says. And I think Paul connects this with um, that here in Romans 16 and verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Now, there's, in my mind, obviously a connection here as well to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.15, where God makes this promise. The fall has just happened through the trickery of Satan, by the way. The fall has happened, and he tells the woman that there is the seed of the woman who will come and crush the serpent's head. And so the seed of the woman, which women don't have seed, so it's the virgin birth he's talking about there. The seed of the woman will one day come and crush the serpent's head. And the head of the serpent will bruise his heel. This crushing will come at a price to the one who is to come. And so it's through Jesus' death that he would crush the serpent's head. And put an end to what the serpent did back in Genesis 3 by causing Eve to stumble and leading Adam and Eve into sin and the rest of humanity with them. And so he says the God of peace, the one who comes to bring peace, who provides peace, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That is the hope. In other words, perhaps there is a progressive aspect to it. Perhaps this influence that is among them or about to encounter them, this won't happen forever But ultimately, we have to understand that this promise began to be fulfilled at the cross and will ultimately be completed at the consummation. We have to understand it in that way. Hebrews 2.14 says that it was through death that he, Christ, might destroy him, Satan, him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In 1 John 3.8, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For, the perp- for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we could go on and on and on. We just need to recognize and note this morning there's a day coming at which time Satan will be bound and after that thrown into the lake of fire forever. Revelation 20 and verse 10. And so, what is our responsibility until then? While we are Christians on this earth. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us it says to be sober. You know Paul says here. Uh, note. 1 Peter 5.8 says be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary. The devil. Walks about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. But 1 Peter 5.9 says resist him. Steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the Lord. And don't forget 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, 
and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Christ is greater than Satan. And Satan will soon be crushed under our feet. Why? Because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look out into the world today, you say there are a lot of people deceived by the serpent. In fact, when you look in Revelation, it's the government who's under the enemy's control. Paul says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. It's from God's perspective, not ours. Let me make four applications as we talk about this. Number one concerns the enemy. We must not be ignorant concerning the wiles or the tricks of the devil. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, We are not ignorant of his schemes, his devices. Remember in Genesis 3, he comes to the woman slithering and says to the woman, he says, Has God said? Then he says, You will not surely die. So he brings to the table doubt and then outright contradiction to what God has said. He says, you will be like God, knowing, determining for yourself good and evil. If you eat of this, you will determine, you will become a God. Hello, Mormonism. Hello, Furtick. Stephen. Let us not forget Satan's tricks. We're to put on the full armor of God. The shield of faith, believing God's word. The sword of the spirit. All of those things Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. And second then, we see here that the church of Jesus Christ has a standard by which she is to judge all doctrine and practice. You note there in the text. He talks about the doctrine they learn, apostolic teaching, the word of God. Acts chapter 20, the whole counsel of God. That is the standard. Now, we do have creeds and confessions that have stood the test of time. They are not the Bible. They are, many of them, are a summary of good and solid Christian doctrine which come from the Bible. However, the Bible itself is the standard. When Jesus in Matthew 4 was tempted by the serpent himself, Jesus used that standard by which he determined right and wrong. He said what to the serpent every time? It is written. It is written. So when Steve and myself and another gentleman were talking to these, these poor Mormons whom, for whom we should pray, one of us had been through their training. He was able to dialogue in that manner. I just went to Romans and basically underscored everything that my friend had said to them. But we went back to the Word of God. That's where the power is because it's of God's Spirit who is almighty. Three, or third I should say, is that we who are Christians should grow in our understanding of the Word of God and Christian doctrine, teaching. That is to say, we should be discerning. 
We have to have Christian discernment to know right from wrong, truth from error, so that we are not led astray. False doctrine not only divides, it destroys. It can send you to hell. So we need Christian discernment. We need to understand the Bible. We need to know it. We need to read it. So as Ephesians 4.14 puts it, we are not tossed by every wind of doctrine. You know, I know some of you read your Bibles on your phones and computers and tablets. It's just a, another charge. Um, are you distracted when you do that? I'm not saying you can't or that it's morally wrong. I prefer paper. You can smell paper. You can write on it. You can bend it. Uh, but are you digesting the Word of God? Well, last, I think one thing we should walk away with is that even though there will be oppressors of Christ's church from within and without, we ought not to lose heart. He says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So whether we look within or we look without, we have this promise. Christ was raised from the dead. That is a guarantee that he's coming back and that we will be raised from the dead. That he has won the victory. He's reigning right now, 1 Corinthians 15 says, and he must reign until he has put every enemy under his feet. The last enemy is death. And so he will destroy Satan and hell forever. Remember that Jesus is building his church. And as he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that God uses even wicked things in our lives for our good. Romans 8, right? And that there is a day coming where every evil spirit Every unbelieving soul and the father of lies himself will be bound and cast into hell forever. And the children of God, those who are meek, will inherit the earth. Well, there will be no more death, no more tears, no more lies. No more devil. That's the promise we have from God's holy word because he is the God who is true and he is the God of peace beloved so make sure you belong to the God of peace who provides peace through the prince of peace and not Satan as your father what is the difference trusting and calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ if you haven't do it do it now Let's pray. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we thank you for the promises of your word, that Christ has won the victory, that Christ is winning the victory, and that Christ will win the victory. Until then, we pray that you would keep us strong in the faith. We pray for your own glory, and in the name of Christ, amen.